Welcome back to another episode of Bed Letter. I am your host, Christian Ashleman, and this is the podcast where we chat a bit about our psycho-human brains, a little about our loony human behavior, and a lot about how it all fits together. Let's start off, as we always do, by thanking you for taking the time to dive just a little deeper into how this whole human experience thing works. Thank you. If you know someone who you think might enjoy the show, please share. And if you are interested in signing up for the monthly newsletter or in joining the Bedletter Community Discord server, head to cashelman.com. On my website, I've got a blog that I write on over there, as well as information on editing, tutoring, and mentoring services that I offer. If you want to help to support the show in an additional way, I also have a Patreon page, and if something in the show sparks a question or comment and you want to share, you can head to my blog, the Community Discord server, or to my Instagram page, at cashleman. That's at C-A-S-H-L-I-M-A-N. Those are all fantastic places to share your thoughts. If you're interested in obtaining a copy of Richard Nisbet's book, you can do so by clicking the link in the description or by heading over to Amazon and searching his name. He's got several other fantastic books there to check out as well. I hope you enjoy the second part of our conversation today as we discuss research replication and the fundamental attribution error. Uh, towards the middle of your book, you discuss research you did with uh, Stanley Schachter involving people's understanding of the causes of their emotions and arousal states. You've discussed this a little bit already, um, but you discussed the replicability of research and how the public's faith was lost in the field of psychology for a while. Uh, right. Problem was that many of the replicated studies, um, as you discuss in the book, were deeply flawed, as you put it. Um, why were these, why do you think these studies were flawed and what do you think some of the most important factors are to take into account when attempting to replicate any kind of research? Well, this is a question that, needless to say, interests me a great deal. Mm-hmm. First of all, that, that initial research was so badly done uh, mm-hmm. that it's shocking. I mean, there were studies done, you know, they, they do a study. Uh, about attitudes toward African Americans and try to replicate it with Italians who don't have the same attitude <laughs> at all toward African Americans. Or uh, there's one study, there's, you may know this study, it's quite famous. You could have people hold a pencil uh, in their mouth lengthwise, mm-hmm. which actually sort of make duplicate makes it look a bit like you're smiling if you're holding the pencil like that, mm-hmm. or you have them hold it pointing toward uh, your throat, uh, which makes it look like you're pouting or scowling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that, that's the, the manipulation. And you give them some reason why you're having them do this crazy thing. And you have them <clears throat> look at cartoons and how funny, ask them how funny they think they are. If they're holding the pencil so that they're smiling, they find mm-hmm. them funnier than if you hold, they're holding the pencil as if they're sulking or smiling. <laughs> uh, so the, the, they replicate this, but they put the person on video. There's a video camera looking at them, which means they're thinking, oh, how do I look? Oh, I, and the, 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 that, this cue of what what the mouth is doing, which becomes not really in your consciousness while you're looking at these cartoons, unless you've got a camera on you where it's totally in your consciousness. It doesn't replicate if you do that. So uh, now, why it would have occurred to anybody to be a good idea to put 
put a camera on people. And I would just, I would, you know, the person who did that is not a good social psychologist. I mean, yeah. if thought occurs to you, you say, oh, no, that's crazy. Blow the whole thing. Anyway, so the original investigator redid the study, either with or without the camera, gets the big effect without the camera. The, with a camera, you get nothing. So, um, but the, the particular experience you're referring to is, and this comes um, when I was uh, in college, I would frequently have insomnia. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the pattern is, you know, you're thinking about what's worrying you, the hour exam, the, the date that didn't go well, whatever. And, and the more you think about it, sort of the more worked up you get and, you know, and you're throwing off the covers because you can't get to sleep. And then you, then you're worried about the fact that you can't get to sleep. What the hell is wrong with me? Just, so I think of that as a spiral of cognitions cause arousal and the arousal amplifies the cognitions and so on. So I thought maybe I can do the same thing when I was much later in life. I said, maybe I can duplicate that the shock experiment with insomniacs. So I had insomniacs come to the, li in the laboratory, tell me how, when they got to sleep the night before, how long they slept um, and how long it took them to get to sleep. And um, I would uh, tell some of them, okay, now for the next two nights, I want you to take this pill and it's the arousal pill yeah. for some and for some it's not. Uh, and, um, then they come back into the laboratory three days later, and I ask them how long it took them to get to sleep. And sure enough, the ones who've taken the pill that's going to cause arousal at bedtime get to sleep quicker. Mm. Because, you know, they're getting worked up and they're worried about what the, the argument with their roommate and, they say, and, they're, and so on. And then they notice unconsciously that they're aroused. And then unconsciously, they say, oh, I'm aroused. Yeah, but it's the pill. <laughs> And conk, they go to sleep. Uh, any rate, so we do this study, and um, uh, it got a lot of attention. I mean, it's, it has a lot of implications for therapy and everything else. Nobody could replicate it. So finally, the guy who uh, did the study says, I don't know what the hell is wrong with everybody. I'll do the damn thing myself. And he couldn't replicate it. So that it stayed that way. I never for a moment believe that that study wasn't showing me a real result. I believe the results. I don't know why it doesn't replicate. 20 years after the original study, somebody walks up to me and says, I know why your insomnia study doesn't replicate. This is because he studied, uh, did the study. Before he did it, he gives a questionnaire what's the name of the questionnaire? The idea behind the questionnaire is how much do you like to think? I mean, is that an activity you enjoy? And uh, the original study was done with Yale students who are, they're thinkers. They tend to be people yeah. who like thinking. Uh, and the study worked for this guy with people who enjoy thinking uh, and doesn't work for people who don't enjoy thinking. Now, so... Uh, and then in the book, in the context of this, this work on failure to replicate, I said, you know, I, social psychology studies ought to be thought of as uh, existence proofs. Once upon a time, 
in a particular place with a particular type of person, if you did X, you get Y, you know. And, you know, will that replicate or not? It'd be interesting to find out. When, it, when will it replicate? When will it, will it not replicate? Uh, but don't assume that the phenomenon is not there simply because some people can't replicate it. So... <laughs> Yeah, I think um, I think that's super interesting. I really liked that 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 part you pulled in. I actually highlighted that uh, in the book. I like to write in books that are that are when I have books like the one you've written. I like to have a highlighter with me so I can kind of go back later and and look through it and and see the different things that I thought were interesting at the time. And that is that is one of the big ones that I that I did highlight. Right. Um, super interesting. I think that. Uh, that that insomnia research was really interesting to read about because I personally I always say that um, like when I when I travel to visit my family who lives on the East Coast there's a bit of a time difference so I get there and I always try to take like sleeping medication um, and I feel like it never ever ever works and so when I was reading about this I was I was just sitting there kind of analyzing past experiences I've had where I'm sitting there thinking. I'll bet you, I'll bet you a good chunk of the times that I've never been able to fall asleep is because of this exact, you know, phenomenon right here. Right. Um, but I think, I think it's really important to, to look at research, especially research like this as existence proofs. I think that puts it in perfect, like perfect words. One of my favorite reasoning errors that you discuss in the book was uh, attribution error. Can you explain kind of how this reasoning error occurs and how it was discovered and also the impact that it had on the field after it was discovered? Well, uh, for me, the, the uh, entry into that was a research I did with a, a very good social psychologist named Edward Jones. And uh, we, he was studying how people make attributions about the causes of other people's behavior. And he had the idea of comparing the kinds of attributions we make for our own behavior with the kinds of attributions we make for other people's behavior. And after I'd been thinking about that for a while, I, re I realized that one of the really big differences is that I do what I do because of the situation. Mm -hmm. which I was responding to as best I could and usually rationally, hopefully. But when I explain Joe's behavior, I'm quite likely to talk about his personality traits or his abilities or his preferences. So, um, so that's, that's the, the general point. I mean, I explain my behavior in situational terms. I explain your behavior in terms of, of enduring personality traits or some kind of characteristics that you have <clears throat> that produce your behavior. Mm -hmm. And uh, I told this to my friend, Lee Ross, my friend, by the way, of 55 years, who just died. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, thank you. Um, it's, uh, yeah, he was, it, well, later maybe I can tell you about Lee Ross. He was <laughs> a remarkable <laughs> person in many ways. Mm -hmm. But I told this idea to him. He says, "Yo, that's that's very interesting, Dick. That's but uh, it you're missing the larger point, <laughs> which is that all causal attribution for human behavior uh, is 
too much uh, based on assumptions about personality traits that other people have and too little uh, on uh, responding to the situation. So, um, and that he, he called that the fundamental attribution error, <clears throat> that we explain behavior of ourselves, other people, animals even. Uh, we, we lean too much on personality traits and other kinds of dispositions uh, to explain behavior. Yeah, I, I, uh, it's kind of funny because I, I read about this and then I, you know, I'm mulling it all over as I've go through my day and, and whatnot. And, um, I feel like it's, it's funny because just, just, I think it was just the other day I was talking to one of, uh, the people I live with and I was explaining this, 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 uh, attribution error to them. And it was instantly like, they were like, oh yeah, that actually, that totally makes sense. Like I, you know, people, so I feel like it's funny because you can explain that to someone and they're like, yeah, I've, I've, I see that. I do that. You know, you, you look at, you know, if you make an error on the road, a lot of times it's like, oh, I'm in a hurry. I've got, you know, the situation I, I ran, I almost ran the red light or whatever. But then when you're on the road and somebody else does something, it's like, oh, that person is genuinely a terrible driver or that right. person, you know, right. and so it's, it's, that, it's that, like really easy for people to see that. I think that changing it. Example. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely one of my favorite ones, and I feel like it's definitely one that happens a lot. And I think it's to me, I just always think about my interactions with with friends and family and other people when I when I think about this one because I feel like it's super easy, like you said, to just to just fall into that. Oh well, they're doing this because that's how they are, instead of right. well, let's look at how they responded to the situation. And anytime you kind of like step back from the whole situation and look at that, I think that's a good thing. Ladies and gents, that is all the time we have for today. But if you enjoyed listening, be sure to follow Bedletter on whatever platform you prefer. Be sure to tune in for the next episode where Richard and myself will continue our conversation, diving further into some other interesting topics discussed in his book. Remember that you can add your name to the monthly newsletter list, join the community Discord server, and more over on my website, cashleman.com. And if you're interested in supporting the show in an additional way, I also have a Patreon page with some pretty cool donation benefits. If anything from today's episode sparked a thought, please feel free to share that either in the Discord, in the comments section on my blog, or on my Instagram page, at Ashleman. Again, that's at C-A-S-H-L-I-M-A-N. Thank you so much for tuning in, guys, and for joining me on today's episode. I hope you have an awesome week, and I'll see you next time on Bed Letter. Bed Letter.